Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. Today is August 16th, 2021. And as we have been doing, let's just begin with a brief moment of silence followed by a mantra. We know, O oh Lord of life and love, about the need. Touch our hearts anew with love, that we too may love and give. So again, welcome. This webinar is intended to introduce this planetary service through the power of thought to people who are new to it and to aid them in the forming of triangles. And so if you are new to this webinar and would like to form a triangle, and if you so choose, you can put your name into the chat box and hopefully two other members of the webinar will agree to form a triangle with you and you can begin the work. And if you're already a member of triangles, you might reach out to form another triangle. And we also come together each week to participate in a meditative visualization that supports and strengthens the planetary network. And so we're very um, happy to have all of you with us here today. The work of triangles is simply the establishing of a golden lighted triangle that is visualized connecting three people. They don't have to be living in the same part of the planet. They don't have to coordinate their work at the same time but they do have to commit to a daily practice of visualizing the lighted triangle between themselves, also extending out to connect with all planetary individuals who are working also in triangles. And together we form a vast network of light and goodwill, and we visualize it surrounding the planet, radiating the energies out, helping to transform and uplift human consciousness, all those souls who can respond to this stimulation when it's released into the atmosphere. And we finish our work in triangles with the sounding of the great invocation, which is a world prayer that helps to align ourselves with light, love and power and radiate those energies out into the world. So it's a powerful means of helping to dissipate the glamour and illusion in our world so that we can all begin to see more clearly underneath the fogs and mists. And today we're very happy to have our returning guest uh, after the meditation, Eduardo Grimalia from Argentina. You, most of you know Eduardo. Um, he's going to be speaking about the secret doctrine and astrology and he's well equipped to speak about astrology because uh, his main area of research is the late Hellenistic tradition, uh, particularly its hermetic texts on mystery traditions and astrology. And he also studied and practiced astrology for many years. And in 2006, published the first book on the ancient astrological traditions in Spanish called Hermetic Astrology. 
And he's also taken part in many international conventions, seminars, and published two English translations from ancient Greek of ancient astrological manuals who were edited then by Benjamin Dykes. So we really look forward to hearing Eduardo's sharing after the meditation. So as we do each week, let's now begin with a brief visualization. And let's begin by linking with each other. and visualizing the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. And in that sphere, let's visualize a triangle composed of three planetary centers. See them as radiating suns, merging and blending one with the other, moving in all directions between Shambhala, the highest head center of the planet, the center of spiritual will, the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart, and humanity the center of creative intelligence. Visualize that triangle filled with light. And superimposed upon it, visualize a five pointed star the star of the world teacher who brings together east and west, past and future, radiating the energies of love wisdom. At each point of the star, the sphere of his activity stands an outpost of his consciousness, the five planetary centers. London. Darjeeling. New York, Geneva, Tokyo, visualize these outpouring energies enlivening small groups gathering everywhere, aiding them to focus and direct the energies into the consciousness of all humanity, 
solving its problems, creating right human relations, restoring peace on earth. Sound together the mantra, invocation of light, projecting a rainbow bridge of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy. Radiance, we are in power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. So as most of you know, we're approaching the second Leo full moon, which occurs on Sunday, August 22nd here in New York at 8.02 a.m. And as we've been highlighting here the last few weeks, this is a powerful alignment, this Leo alignment. Leo in one respect is the energy of alignment because it's ruled by the three suns, the triple sun, the physical sun, the heart of the sun and the central spiritual sun. So it's a time, particularly for us at this time in planetary consciousness, when we can link up more fully with the energies that are incoming of Aquarius, because the Earth's etheric field is always qualified by the energy opposite to the sun. So we're working in our triangles work with Aquarian energies, with the seventh ray, with the ability to bring through that which is above and to anchor it here on earth. And this second full moon, which is a rare opportunity, is particularly potent because it aligns with the um, sacred star of Regulus, which is known as the heart of the lion. So the Tibetan um, gives us an alignment that is set up during this particular festival. And he doesn't do that for any of the other festivals. And so it seems um, particularly important for us to just take a look at it. It's a flow of energy, a cosmic flow. And it stems from the great star, Sirius, through Regulus, this star that is at the heart of the lion and which, with which this full moon auspiciously is aligned. This is not always the case. It's always the case that Regulus 
is in this cosmic flow of energy. But when it's actually aligned with the full moon, that's particularly potent. Of course, then through the heart of the sun, through an undiscovered trans-Neptunian planet, and then through the planetary rulers, the hierarchical ruler of Uranus and the esoteric ruler of Neptune. And then it's particularly focused through the world teacher himself, through the Christ, who is called a Syrian initiate. Then through the hierarchy, bypassing Shambhala, we're told in this case, um, the stimulation is, is great enough uh, through the hierarchy and then through the buddhic and astral vehicles of humanity and into all life forms. And so Sirius um, becomes particularly important in our planetary life. Um, and in fact, a name of our planet, another name, is related specifically to this ancient relationship between Sirius and our Earth. Our Earth is sometimes called the little daughter of a long lost son. So perhaps it was long lost because humanity was not ready to establish any kind of really vital relationship with this great and august secondary star. But now, perhaps because of the advances in human consciousness, we're told that humanity can, as the new age unfolds, begin to make a mass appeal to Sirius. We might consider, therefore, that this mass appeal that is perhaps developing now is related to the idea that some hold that the Buddha may have been moving on to his intended goal um, as part of the realignment of energies within our planet, the Christ taking perhaps an initiation, the Buddha moving into his uh, deeper purpose, not abandoning our planet, but certainly moving into a higher purpose. And therefore the approach of Christ to the Buddha at Waysak will gradually be um, changed, we're told, and perhaps the alignment that will shift will be towards placing a greater focus on the Leo full moon and the ability for the Christ to extend his alignment and make contact with the great star Sirius. And this, of course, if it is true, involves a tremendous uh, reorientation and reconfiguration within hierarchical circles and consequently within the life and consciousness of the new group of world servers and all humanity. And hence perhaps the turbulence that we see everywhere in the world at this time. Um, so as I mentioned, Sirius is a secondary star and therefore it has a natural association with our sun, which is also second ray. We live in a second ray solar system and also with our tiny non-sacred planet uh, we are said to have a secondary soul at that level. And the light that comes and shines in from Sirius is sometimes called the sunshine of the major sun. For Sirius stands as the brightest star within our local system and archetypally as the central point 
around which our local systems of stars revolve. Some believe it to be the central point of the seven solar systems of which our solar system is one. Sirius houses what's called the Great Blue Lodge, which is really the archetypal um, symbol of the hierarchy on our planet, which is the White Lodge. And it said eventually, at some distant point, the majority of Earth humanity will find their way to this great star Sirius. And we're also told that the Christ himself, no matter where else he goes in between, will eventually return to Sirius. And we are in need of the energy of Sirius because it's said to be a great star of Manas, um, a great star of mind. And much of the human kingdom needs that stimulation in order to fulfill our eventual destinies. And that energy of Manas, which is often very much related to the fifth ray, concrete science, is very much in evidence at the Leo full moon, because in esoteric astrology, we know that each of the signs is a vehicle for a great ray, or sometimes more than one ray. And in this case, Leo is really a vehicle for three primary ray energies, the first ray of will and power, and the fifth ray of concrete science, actually two rays, I'm sorry. And so we know that the planets through which those rays are focalized, in this case, the first ray is focalized through Pluto. Um, it's curious that he doesn't state that it's focalized through Vulcan, which is the sacred planet, because in all other instances, as far as I understand, the rays are focalized um, through the sacred planets. But perhaps because it is as yet an undiscovered planet for most of us, um, the energies are still focalized through Pluto. And Venus being the sacred planet along the fifth ray line becomes exceedingly potent at this time under the energies of Leo. So let's just keep the importance of this full moon in our consciousness as we prepare for this great festival that's coming up on Sunday. And now let's work together in our meditation. coming together in group fusion, standing on the mental plane in the center of the even darn cross of discipleship. Linking as a soul, a point of love and light with all people throughout the world who are working with this Triangles Network. And we project a line of lighted energy towards the planetary center of Shambhala in the center of the will of God, I stand.
not shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love which underlies and infuses the network. Lift the consciousness to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and also at the heart of each triangle. Precipitation, visualizing the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangles network. Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness, establishing right human relationships. 
sound together the mantra of unification. Projecting a line of lighted energy towards the hierarchy we sound. The sons of men are one and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not accept due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all men love. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere. Distribution, sounding the great invocation. As we repeat each stanza, let's visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, as a channel through which light, love, and divine purpose may flow into human consciousness. We use the original wording today. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the race of men, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light 
and love and power restore the plan on earth. Hi, Eduardo. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'll let you mm -hmm. share your screen now. Okay, thank you. Hello, everyone. It's nice to be here again to share my thoughts. Uh, okay. Today, uh, the subject is astrology and the secret doctrine, some thoughts on astrology as esoteric science. So after the secret doctrine was published at the end of the 19th century, a new tendency arose, which uh, recognized astrology as an occult science, which rested on a truly spiritual basis. In her, in her masterpiece of occult thought, H.P. Blavatsky stated that ideal influence is dual. There's a physiological and physical influence, that of exotericism, but there's also the high spiritual influence. This perspective was enthusiastically endorsed by the English astrologer, Alan Leo, who became a member of the TS in 1890. In his book, Esoteric Astrology, written under the inspiration of the secret doctrine, he claimed that astrology had both an esoteric and an exoteric side. Esoteric astrology, he said, deals with the abstract cause, the philosophy, and the inner or subtler point of view, while exoteric astrology is content with the effect, the practice, and the concrete, the outer ex expression. A more comprehensive and deeper view can be found, as we know, in Alice Bailey's book, dictated by the Tibetan master, because there's a lot to say about the Tibetan's view, but today I will focus mainly on the information given in the secret doctrine. Astrology 
an ancient science. It is perhaps older than we can imagine. Blavatsky uh, reveals that some astronomical dynasties bought the third root race called the Murian. And after they had passed on that knowledge to the lost continent of Atlantis, they redescended during the fifth race in order to reveal to those forerunners the mysteries of the heavens. Blavatsky suggests that the oldest branch of our fifth race, the Aryans, so-called, is, is the one that came from Atlantis to Northern India, bringing the astrological knowledge. Long after that, the zodiac was imported into Egypt, where our Western astrology was born. That archaic science was lost and only echoes of it were passed on to later traditions. The implications, I think, are extraordinary. According to these accounts, astrology is no less than 18 million years old. That this system to a great extent works and is useful can be demonstrated by thousands of serious and learned astrologers in all ages and around the world. However, Blavatsky's so curious statement that primitive astrology was as far above modern astrology as the zodiacal signs of the planets are above the street lampposts. Well, it leaves no doubt that some key is missing, which has not been given yet to us modern people. Quite a statement, isn't it? Astrology, according to the secret doctrine, was once a vast and sublime science. Ancient astrology, astrology was concerned more with the energies of the spiritual man than with physical plane events. Blavatsky states that the last word in this science is to be sought in the occult forces emanating from the constellations. Each constellation, she says, has a mysterious influence over the individual. The secret doctrine dedicates many pages to the mystery of the zodiac, indicating also that the key must be turned seven times before we can understand the many layers of meaning underlying this, the, one of the most ancient of mysteries. The secret doctrine seems to imply that the zodiac, when esoterically considered, is like a sensitive plate forming a link between the objective and subjective sides of nature, connecting the realm of meaning and the phenomenal world, being even a record of all the history of our universe. The zodiac is seen as a ring of 12 magnetic foci which channel the energies of other constellations, being perhaps a reflection of a still greater zodiac. When the universe is seen as a living organism, it becomes easier, I think, to understand that sidereal motions, cyclic by nature, condition and have an influence on all kingdoms in nature. Planets, stars, and constellations to which we attribute assign some astrological influence upon human affairs are 
living beings subject to a cyclic return, just as a human being. They are pursuing their own evolutionary paths. They have their own inner natures, their own notes, their presence and position, having therefore a definite influence on all else in space as that mysterious entity. All stars and planets are beings and therefore have their own ray nature, their own sound within this harmony of the spheres. H.P. Blavatsky looked upon sound as the effect produced by the vibration of the ether, the impulses communicated to the ether by the, the different planets may be likened to the tones produced by the different notes of a musical instrument. The etheric network thus seems to be instrumental in transmitting those energies throughout space. Even when in ancient times the mysteries were mere shadows of their foregone glory, several clues can be found in the extant texts that astrology was considered a matter not to be taken lightly. A very curious pledge is found in an old astrological book called The Anthologies, written by Betches Valens in the second century. I must before all prescribe an oath for all those who happen to encounter my books, said Betches Valens, that they withhold it in a manner appropriate to the mysteries. Another Roman astrology of the fourth century, Hermicus Maternus, informs us that the mythical musician and astrologer Orpheus initiated strangers into his mysteries by means of a pledge. And a solemn oath was taken that the entire teaching of divinity will be made known only to those equipped with pure splendor of mind and uncorrupted soul. The fact that these oaths are very similar to hermetic pledges, mainly those found in the papyri discovered in Nakhamadi in 1945, has led scholars to conclude that these ancient astrologers drew their knowledge from hermetic mystery traditions. So, divine astrology, only for the initiates, we read in the sacred doctrine as in ancient times only a true initiate can know those immaterial forces and spiritual entities that affect matter and guide it. Astrology is wholly built upon the mystic and intimate connection between the heavenly bodies and mankind. And again, it is one of the great secrets of initiation. The secret doctrine suggests that only those great beings who have undergone a complete transformation can understand its deepest side. So what is that mystic and intimate connection between the heavenly bodies and mankind astrology is built upon? Even when little we know about this astrology of the initiates, something I think remains to be uh, taken uh, attention. That something must not escape our attention. If man has his destiny outlined by a certain constellation or a star traced as a self-prophecy, 
It is precisely because that human spirit or monad in its first beginning is that spirit of the planet itself. The great Paracelsus, the great sage, indicated the same thing when he said the essences in man's sidereal body are intimately related to the essences of the stars. Somewhere else he adds, what is the human being but a constellation of the same power that formed the stars? What would become of the heart if there were no sun in the universe? As our sun irradiated steams on each body in space, so the ruler, the regent of every planet, the parent star emanates, irradiates from itself the spirit, the spark of every pilgrim soul born under its house within its own ray group. Humanity and the celestial bodies are bound together indissolubly this is precisely because those celestial orbs are intelligences. With these intelligences, esoteric astrology is concerned. There is the esoteric influence and the high spiritual influence imparted by the knowledge of the planetary gods. So who are those planetary gods, rulers of a planet? The secret doctrine present, presents those primordial seven logoi as a channel for each of the seven rays or hierarchies. Each of them is one step or degree in the musical scale of the cosmos. The builder of one of the seven kingdoms in nature and rules one of the seven sacred planets. But so why are certain planets and stars sacred? while others are not. According to the suggestions found in the secret doctrine, this seems to be related to the spiritual status of the planetary logoi on their incomprehensible for us level. Our planet Earth, as well as the sun, are not considered sacred stars. Through our work with triangles, we are certainly helping our planet become sacred. Venus said to be a sacred planet being the most occult, powerful and mysterious of all planets, light bearer of the earth, both in a physical and mystical sense. Mercury is also said to be highly mysterious. As we read in the secret doctrine, the occult teaching claims that the star under which a man is born will remain forever his star throughout the whole cycle of incarnations in this solar system. But this is not his astrological star. The personal horoscope is only related to the present incarnation and therefore his astrological star is related to the personality, not to the soul as the former is. This seems to imply that each individualized being coming into a separate existence is, I would say, a pure ray of divine light. It is like a seed cast into the phenomenal worlds in order that it may grow like unto its parent star, his father in heaven. 
each of those seats belong to one particular star, one specific ray or musical note of a cosmic soundboard. And these sons of mind, our own souls on their own plane, are in a way under the protection or influence of their parent star. Man's spiritual heredity is therefore derived from those seven spirits before the throne of God. The long way towards the recognition of that parent star, which only takes place, it seems, at initiation, is made according to the law of cycles, the culmination of such process generally called initiation, being in some way a return to the spirit's homelines, that ray of the parent star. One may wonder, why is it so difficult for the non-initiated us to understand how astrology works at a spiritual level? HPB warns us about the presence in our solar system of other invisible spheres, which positively have an influence, some of them not yet physical, and on the downward arch towards material density, others no longer physical and in process of disintegration. Our moon is said to belong to the latter category, and modern astrology would find it difficult to reconcile the idea of the moon being a dead body, even a corpse, with the importance given to this luminary by modern astrological practice. The occult doctrine treats the moon as a remnant, a residue of those globes mankind once inhabited in archaic periods, and not as an offspring of the earth. Her metaphysical and psychic nature must remain a secret, Blavatsky says. This occult influence is connected with the fact that in esoteric astrology, the moon is looked upon as a substitute for esoteric purposes, just as the sun does veiling some other influences. In the case of the sun, esoteric astrology considers the physical sun as a vehicle for the energies of the heart of the sun and the central spiritual sun, thus acting as a veil for more other esoteric influences. We are told that the influences that the sun as ruler of Leo veils are those of Neptune and Uranus, the former being the agent of the heart of the sun, the latter of the spiritual sun. These planets thus form in a triangle which makes the Leo experience a real lesson in sensitivity. According to the occult doctrine, solar system includes hosts of invisible bodies. In face of this monumental doctrine of the spheres, how can then a non in a non-initiated human account for all the possible influences a person is subject to, humanity is subject to. All the zodiacal and planetary energies act either as a hindering or stimulating forces according to the type of vehicle on which they play. The receptivity of these vehicles necessarily depends upon the point of evolution attained, the Tibetan warns us. One may wonder, can a woman or man, a disciple on the spiritual path who is developing 
a kind of universal kind of altruism and love be subject to the same quality of energies as those human beings who are the dramatic centers of their own personal lives. And the big question, do the stars truly determine our destiny? Are we doomed? Uh, when it is assured in the secret doctrine, yes. Our destiny is written in the stars. It by no means implies fatalism. The subject of the zodiac arises when the law of cyclists and karma are being dealt with. The secret doctrine adds, those who believe in karma have to believe in destiny, which from birth to death, every man is weaving thread by thread around himself as a spider does its cobweb. A human being is the weaver of his own destiny. The stars are then only the cosmic clock, which indicates that the time is ripe for cert certain adjustments to be made. They do not cause our happiness or misfortune. They are simply the channels for certain energies set in motions, some of which are meant to restore balance. That is what karma is about after all. As one Mahatma said, we recognize only one law in the universe, only one law, that of balance and perfect equilibrium. Even when based on illusion as the path of the sun across the sky is, astrology is essentially one of the deepest and most symbolic presentations of esoteric truth, precisely because it deals with the energies and forces which play upon the whole field of space, we are told by the Tibetan master. Astrology is infallible only with the condition that its interpreters must be equally infallible, Blavatsky says. On what such infallibility depends, we have two clues. First, that it is more connected with the astrologer's knowledge of occult forces than with astronomical erudition. Astronomy is a time-honored system devised to understand all the welter of impacting and conditioning energies which pour forth from so many sources. And second, here it is, and second, that accurate predictions rely on some specific knowledge and computations connected with the spiritual action of cycles preordained by karmic law. We read in, in, in the secret doctrine. So there's some knowledge about the law of cycles and karma, which we don't know, uh, which is only imparted at a certain stage upon the path of return. The astrology of the ancients was a great noble science. Our modern astrology seems to be a relic. Let me use this word, breadcrumbs, a few fragments of the ancient astrology, astrological wisdom, combined with some modern hypothesis, of course. Genuine archaic astrology was a branch of the ancient mysteries and had the support of the best minds in human history. 
We are now approaching the second full moon in Leo, and we will be working with the keynote, I am that, and that I am. A literal rendering of a powerful Sanskrit mantra, Soham. This lesson on identification will be enhanced by the fact that this full moon will take place, as Kathy said, on the brightest star of the constellation Leo, the heart of the sun, the, of Leo, Regulus, the little king, one of the most powerful stars of the heavens since ancient times. The star Sirius, as the origin of the energies, also comes to our notice, given its close cosmic relation with Leo. We are told that in the future, Leo festivals will involve contact with Syrian energies, the universal and group energies of Aquarius are also activated, given the interplay of energies between these two opposite signs. As we move into the Aquarian age, one can expect that a further revelation on astrology will someday be possible, mainly being Aquarius, a sign related to the etheric web of the planet to universal brotherhood and to, to astrology itself. Astrology will eventually be restored to its original beauty. The time is coming when astrology will recover its ancient dignity as sublime science. We are also told in esoteric astrology that new teachings on astrology, among other subjects, will come after 19, uh, 2025, which seems to be a crucial year. And just just round the corner, so to say. According to the Tibetan, the new astrology will deal with significance and meaning, and it is esoteric precisely in that sense. And that's all I wanted to share with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eduardo. There's a lot to uh, take in, and I'm sure um, we'll be reading the transcript again, which is in the chat. And so I just had a, a couple of questions and then we'll open it up um, to others. You had mentioned that there's a, a Sanskrit term that seems to encapsulate the entire keynote for Leo. I am that and that am I, Sohan. Um, does it, is, is it really... Um, defined in that way or how do you how do you come about that oh, well saha is the pronoun uh this or that and aham it's i the pronoun i oh. so uh the combination by sandy uh, yeah. in, in that combination we have soham as a result and it is used as a mantra uh it's used as a mantra I, it's used as a, is it used as a mantra in, in the ancient days? You, you know that? Or? Yeah, yeah. It, is, ah. it was used as a mantra. I am that. Uh-huh. You know, uh, Sanskrit had that uh, neutral pronoun, tat, yeah. to refer to that. Yeah. So no name was given to, to that absolute and incomprehensible unspeakable deity. So it was just named by a pronoun, that. Yeah, wow, interesting. So that's very interesting. 
Yeah, it would be interesting to see if all of the keynotes of the signs could be encapsulated in some Sanskrit teaching. That was uh, well. We could attempt that. Yeah, <laughs> another job. Another job for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you made the point that the Tibetan brings up that astrology is eighteen million years old. But that's just on our planet, right? I mean, we could we can imagine that astrology is timeless, indeed. Really, you know. Yeah, astrology. The influences. Yeah, you said this is a living universe. It's yeah, whole consciousness. So there's always been an influence because everything has a note. Yeah, everything has a color. So astrology is the human translation of, and turned into a science and how to interpret those yeah. meanings, those influences. Unfortunately, around the second century, astrology, well, was became a bit, uh, it's a causal. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think an astrologer called Ptolemy had to do with that. Yeah, but I, yeah. it is my predicament. Uh, I'm sure that ancient astrology was much more connected with hermetic traditions, mm. and that uh, that analogy between the microcosm, the microcosm, the macrocosm, was crucial. Yeah, to, to to define what influence, what planetary influence is. Yeah. So when yeah, the ancient said that the the natal chart was the image of, of, of the mind of the Logos. Yeah. So uh, let's say we have to uh, sort of second guess the cosmic mind, so to say, mm -hmm. and see uh, what's the destiny of, of man. And so yeah. um, I think that astrology was um, a very arcane science. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know that you you have translated, as we said in the introduction, you've translated a number of books, and you've probably read many of the books of the Hellenistic tradition. And yeah, but, you know, Kathy, I'm sorry, but you know, even those texts, I think, are also uh, found at a time when astrology, the the real meaning of astrology, was already lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Seeing as it originated so many millions of years ago, yeah. of course. But maybe I sometimes have the, the idea since a lot of contemporary astrology has even lost more of the original impulse that those people who are interested and studying those ancient texts are perhaps, we're perhaps preparing the field a little more for the incoming of the new teachings on astrology after 2025. That's, um, I think it needed that de depth, even though, as you say, it might still be very shallow compared to the original um, concept. It's, yeah, it's really shallow. Yeah. One can, one can see that even in Hellenistic times, and of course, let's not forget Jyotish or Vedic astrology, yeah. which is also so complex, so rich. Yeah. There are so many techniques of time division and time yeah. distributions. And, uh, you know, you have a, 
the Rashi, which is the, the natal chart, but you also have the Navamsha and yeah. the other charts, harmonic charts. Yeah. You have so many uh, resources. Yeah. Uh, the well, influence of the nakshatras is, I think, one of the great gifts of, of Vedic astrology. They just brings to me at least such a depth of distinguishing between the different types of each sign. You know, they they really clarify a lot. I think. Yeah, and, and the nakshatras are especially interesting because yeah. it connects the whole subject with the fixed stars. Yes. Originally, yeah. the nakshatras were fixed stars. Yes. And. and- and there's yeah. a debate. There's a debate now in in the field of uh, Vedic astrology between those who are using the sidereal zodiac and those who are using the tropical. And it's interesting that the nakshatras overcome that because the nakshatras are the same in either either system. So exactly. I think they're fundamentally very important. But well, any that, that difference between the zodiacs, Kathy, I think that reveals that we have lost the key, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a discussion going on for centuries, for decades, let's say, about yeah. the zodiac. Which one do we have to use? The sidereal zodiac or the tropical zodiac? Yeah. So the, the everything's Tibet- moving. The Tibetan seems to me, I mean, he makes a, quite a number of comments in support of the sidereal energies, but I think principally he does indicate that the um, tropical zodiac is the one that is to is more esoteric because it's using, it's bringing through the influence of the sidereal zodiac through the signs and the signs. In my understanding, from working with the seven rays uh, group, is that the signs are really devic essences of the constellations. So they're very, they should not be denigrated as uh, lesser in any way than the than the sidereal influences. Yeah. I'm of the same opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if we leave, go without the equinoxes and the solstices, we do away with one of the most, not only important, but also sacred things in antiquity. So we have to integrate that. Yeah. And uh, in a way, uh, I find it very interesting that the secret doctrine dedicate so many pages to the mystery of the zodiac it seems that mm-hmm. it is a great mystery and uh, you know who and 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 and, and it, at some point it, this blavatsky connects the mystery of the zodiac with what she calls the circulations of the cosmos so mm-hmm. it seems that uh um using a very very esoteric name uh, fohat there's kind of phohatic magnetisms, 12 magnetisms, which regulate the whole circulation of lines, uh, uh, just as in the human body, the blood circulates. Yeah. So, uh, it is connected with the occult physiology of yeah. the solar system. Yeah. So we, we always come back to, to, to to the idea of the solar system and of course the galaxy as as a living being as a, yeah. as a sentient being yeah mm. you've you've probably read that statement i wish i had it here with me in white magic about it relates to what you were saying about we're not really on a higher level governed by our 
zodiacal chart in this lifetime, but in fact, we're related to an extra zodiacal constellation that seems, the Tibetan seems to imply that it's related to our ray, but it's probably not even our soul ray. It's probably some monadic influence, but that exactly. that's such an interesting um, thing to consider. Very cosmic. Uh, all, all the layers that successively appear, you first you discover, uh, well, the realms of the soul, but then you have to discover the monadic ray. Yeah. So uh, the, the, the parent star belongs to the monadic ray, yeah. indeed, right? And that's related to a constellation that's outside our zodiac altogether. Exactly, because every sacred planet is a channel yeah. of extrazodiacal constellation. Yeah, great constellations. Great, know. yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, so the, the I, I'm, is, I'm, is a monumental one. I'm hogging this and it's oh, we're getting a little late. So let's uh, just open it up so you can read a few of the comments to the group. And uh, there's a lot of initial comments, which I'll just address at the close very briefly. But um, let's see, John has his hand uh, raised. Maybe we can start with you, John. Hello. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Just a short point of correspondence between the ancient and the modern regarding the moon and its role in astrology. If we look at the comments made by the Apollo astronauts, they were uniformly the same. The moon is a dead world, null and void. These were not the comments of uh, astrologers, but of test pilots and engineers. And if you listen carefully to the sound of mystery, wonderment, and an edge of horror in their voice as they said it, that should allow us to understand that this was something entirely new in humanity's experience and recognized by those who may not have received any training in these esoteric sciences. So again, we see the correspondence between the Hellenistic knowledge of the ancients and the newer information that we ourselves are accumulating. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. And uh, I dealt with that, a little, I enlarged upon that a little more in a video I recorded for the Theosophical Society in America. You can find it in YouTube. It is called Astrology and the Secret Doctrine. Mm. It's, a, it's a rather long one. So if uh, anyone who wants to know more about this, uh, how the secret doctrine treats astrology. Uh, well, you're invited to, to, to see that video. Maybe we can link with that video on our YouTube channel underneath uh, this video. We'll put that link and maybe someone could put it in the chat if they have access to it. Um, would you like to address some of the comments? Yeah, someone mentions Culpepper. Cal Pepper, yeah, mm -hmm. the earliest in astrologer. Yeah. Uh, well, um, medical astrologer is another mystery. Yeah. Uh, in, in ancient times, uh, medical astrology was uh, um, horary and electional astrology. But oh. in esoteric healing, the Tibetan says that, uh, well, the, the, the real medical astrology astrology has not yet come so there's another key that must be turned that we don't have we don't yeah. have the key right it's uh 
And would you agree that as each person spiritually progresses and passes through initiations, their will is more and more free from merely being determined by the influences of karma and the influences, yeah, and astrology, of course, of course. Um, you know, the, the, what we call natal chart is sort of contract with time and space. It's, it's, uh, it's this incarnations, it's only for this incarnation and as, uh, as, as a person becomes a disciple, other rulers come into account. So we're told yeah. so, right? Um, the, 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 the impulse of Aries is no longer ruled by Mars, desire. Yeah. It's ruled by Mercury. It's, it's the mind. In Leo, we have the sun, right? And you have, we have uh, Neptune, yeah, uh, sixth ray, and with another sense of the eye, of the self-awareness, and then comes another step, Uranus, yeah, behind yeah. that seventh ray. It's, that's a completely different dimension of the self. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes, of course. And, well, and karma, uh, it, it, it's a tricky word, right? Um, Karma means action in, in Sanskrit. Kr is, it, it is the verb to do. Karomi, I do. So it's just action with a consequence. It, it, in, in a way, it relates to that law of balance. So there are always movements in the universe to restore balance. Yeah. This is what karma is about. Maybe uh, we give it a sort of... Uh, well, we have so much Christianity behind and, and, and the sense of reward and the sense of, uh, well, punishment. Uh, but karma is just an adjustment and uh, a restoration of balance, so to say. And what else? Also, interest that many of the points you made from the secret doctrine have parallels in Taoism. An easy example would be the Huahu Chin, the unknown teachings of Lao Tzu, Brian Walker edition. Even through that volume, though that volume doesn't expressly discuss astrology, it does speak of the nature of esotericism, esotericism and energies. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your comments. Yeah. Thank you, Eduardo. Um, and I just wanted to address a couple of just the point that um, was raised by some related to the use of the mantra of uh, the great invocation in the original wording. Um, I've just had a sense that we should be able to use uh, the original wording from time to time because it is the most powerful, whether we want to admit it or not, it is the original wording that was given out by the Tibetan, um, which Alice Bailey said was her most uh, intense cooperation with the Tibetan in all the 30 years that they worked together. And uh, so why not be true to using that powerful mantra in its original form? Uh, so anyway, that's all I would like to say on that issue. <laughs> Just one last thing, Kathy, uh, because uh, last week we talked we, uh, the subject of avatars was brought yes. up. 
Yes. And in a way, it is connected with the, the meaning of star because in Sanskrit, tara means star. It has uh -huh. the same consonants, right? The same root word. Yes. Tara means star. And it is from the verb to move because the, 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 the stars and the planets were seen moving in the sky. Yes. And ava means down. So avatara, avatar mean the descent. And yes. it was mainly applied to descending stars on the horizon. Mm. But someone who descends, the coming one would be a, a right translation of avatar, for example. Yeah. Great. And, and this really connected with the meaning, with the word star or planet, tara. It's mm. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, well... The Christ is being overshadowed by some powerful stars, you know, so <laughs> uh, anyway, so let's just uh, thank Eduardo again very much for your contributions and your interesting insights that you share with us every time. And thank you, everyone. And thank you, Kathy. It's always nice to be here. Yes. Till next time. Yes. So let's just end with a moment of silence, linking with our triangles workers around the world, visualizing the planet surrounded by a lighted network of energies. Thank you.